Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Lantern Rouge Soccer Podcast, Alex Dowsett, inaugural appearance. Uh, excited to have you on, obviously fellow, I guess not a podcaster, maybe in the future, I don't know. Uh, but fellow YouTuber, at least. We're here to talk about Alex's hour record attempt, uh, his season review, what he thinks for next year. We had a big signing today for Israel Startup Nation, which we'll get into uh, as well. But how are you going, Alex? Uh, in who, your- sorry, who was the signing? I haven't. It's Solo. Oh, okay. I heard rumors. <laughs> I heard rumors. <laughs> well, you'd be, yeah, you probably already knew. But yeah, uh, Nitsolo, I think it's a pretty good awesome. signing. Awesome. Yeah, that's, uh, that is really good. First question sure. I had is why? Why are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing the hour record? Everyone's on the beach. I've seen Brandon McNulty in <laughs> the Maldives. Yeah. Roglic just put a photo on the beach somewhere. Why? Why are you doing yeah. this? Honestly, Chanel's asking me the same question every multiple times a day. I'd say, um, why am I doing? Oh, there's a few reasons. It's I, I've asked each team I've been with every single year without fail if we can do an hour record since um since 2015 and well star were um they they sort of they took a little bite of the apple with it they're like yeah maybe but then i think they just didn't quite believe that i could go further than wiggins did um and then i think in their minds were like we did it we got our names on the board we don't need to we don't want to risk failing um and doing it by doing it again and it, it is it's quite a big financial outlay and it's a big um uh ask in terms of organizing it which we've discovered um so yeah that was mobby star katusha alperson they had far bigger problems than me yeah, doing an hour yeah. record for the couple of years that i was there um i mean in hindsight maybe an hour record would have been the best thing they could have done um in terms of putting in their name um, about because that in terms of their sort of social media and everything and their engagement with the audience though they were phenomenal at it we just those two years we just weren't very good at bike racing which was a problem Um, and then yeah Israel last year with COVID it was kind of like it wasn't really a a thing and obviously it was contract year for me and and, and we all know that was uh, rocky up until the end um, with a positive outcome, so um, but yeah, I mean, I think as I've as I've got older, I've realised that the team, whichever team I'm with, they're not going to do this for me. So, kind of need to do it myself. And when I say do it myself, as in rope Chanel in to help help me do it, yeah, um, yeah. and then ultimately take it over and do it so that I can just do the bike riding. But um, but the motivation is there's a couple of them. The first. I mean, the first one's around haemophilia, what the, the good I know it can do for the the haemophilia community, which is a, haemophilia is a condition I suffer from um, and a condition that's changed a lot over the last um, few decades. So it's, it's sort of my career serves as a story of um, 
a positive haemophilia story. And I think the hour record is, is an extension of that. Um, from an athletic point of view, there's it haunted me a bit after 2015, knowing that I could have gone further. Like we put months of work into that record attempt and um, we saw Jack Bobridge's attempt go horrifically wrong. Um, which kind of put the scares up everyone. And I mean, Bobridge became a verb in the in our camp to say we like we can't do a Bobridge and go out the blocks too quick. So it was a very disciplined and controlled attempt. And Bobby Star were very um, set in saying like you stick to the schedule, uh, you go no faster than you need to. Um, kind of like what Loudon did the other the other week, Joss Loudon when she broke it. It seemed like she she was very conservative. Yeah, and. I think the thing with Joss is she had obviously LeCole put a um a large uh LeCole sort of bankrolled and yeah, funded yeah. the attempt. Shout and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see the t- I see the t-shirt. Um <laughs> and uh you can, with that comes an element of pressure, I guess. And right. there is a you know, the hours are um the actual effort of of the hour is it's different. You don't realise how much rest you get in a time trial until you do an hour record. Like once you go over that edge, you don't come back. And and the perfect example of that is Bobridge. Yeah. Um, I mean, he went over the edge after five laps, and um, he did, he didn't come back. It was just a horrible experience to watch. And so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd imagine Joss um, had that element of discipline over, and also your first attempt. I think is you, I don't know how, I don't, I know Dan did a couple of like one hour runs. Um, she done an unofficial run, I, I think. That's right. No, she did. Um, which completely rules out everything I was just about to say about. Oh, but her prep minutes. wasn't optimal. Yeah, no, no. Like she, she no. been racing, I think like the week before or something. I can't remember. Yeah. I think there's something in that. I think there's, oh, really? I, I don't think that's, um, I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, because of the nature of the effort, I think if you if you've got if you're intermixing TT bike time or, or track bike time in amongst, um, especially stage racing, I think that can give you um, much more in terms of like just a fitness and a base base level fitness than than perhaps you could in, in training. Um, but yeah, so that's. So, so from a sporting aspect, you felt like in 2015 you left something on the table and now you, yeah. you want to go further, yeah. obviously. Exactly. I, I want to see what I'm capable of. Yeah. I, and that was the big thing. I put all that work in and actually in the end recorded a 80 85% effort. Um, I mean, it was 360 watts. I think everything in training had been around the 400 mark. And um, I think so. one of the... Uh, one of Mobby Star's sports scientists crunched it and basically said, "If I'd ridden at 400, I'd have given Wiggins a, a bit more of a challenge, um, which would have been nice." But actually, just above all, to to see what I could do. So, you're, if, in case people don't know, both Alex and I do live in Andorra, but Alex lives at like a K further up in altitude, I think, than I do. I'm down in the warmer area in shorts and a t-shirt still. <laughs> He's up like over 2,100, I think. You're yeah, doing your jackets team- already out. Really? <laughs> yeah. I can't deal with that. Yeah. You go, you're doing it in Mexico over. Is it 2,500 meters? I think. 
it's on 1850 1850 way off yeah um yeah is that is that the sweet spot because you're not going into the sort of 23 2400 meter zone where you you're really going to have the watts knocked off but you're still getting the a large benefit from the reduction in air resistance is is mexico the sweet spot or is it just there's nowhere in europe that's perfect with the air pressure right now at this time of year um I, air, air, yeah, air pressure, air density is um, air density is not something I'd ever considered until we looked at Mexico. Um, and I, I guess I still haven't. I just know it's I, I know it's fa- I know it's faster, but I know it's going to be harder. Um, but I know less watts are required to travel yeah. uh, the distance. So. Um, I mean, there's there's a higher track, and I think it's two three two four in uh, Bolivia, yeah. um, and the. Uh, <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we've we've kind of not we've not done any. We don't know anything about it. Like we know, Agus Calientes is uh, is quick. Um, okay. Yeah, Victor's proved it. Ashton yeah. Lambie's proved it. Yeah. Multiple people have proven it. So. Um, I, honestly, we, were, we we weren't scratching around for a track, but the, the whole the plan was always to go to Manchester. It's like a home crowd and also one of the fastest tracks in Europe. Yeah. Um, but when we were organising it, Manchester was having you can't get a crowd. Its, well, no, we can. The UK, oh, you we can. can. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah UK, yeah, we're, we we um, I mean, that's a whole other conversation. We dealt with COVID terribly. Dealt with the vaccines pretty well. Um, okay. The yeah, Manchester's having its roof replaced this oh, winter. And, okay. Yeah, no one could give us an answer as to if it'd be available or when. So we're like, okay, well, time's running out. We need to look at somewhere else. London is a bit too slow and yep. very expensive. Um, so there's nothing really else in the UK that's quick enough. So we thought Berlin, Grenchen, Eigel. Um, like, oh, maybe no. Nah. Then we're like, if we're going to go abroad, we may as well just go to Mexico. Yeah, um, it's an extra few hours on a plane, and we know it's we know it's less of an unknown than those other tracks. So um, that's how we arrived at Mexico. And are you fairly resistant to altitude, or having lived up at altitude compared to other people? You don't really know. I mean, because you're not a climber, people don't know but this is obviously not a climbing effort. So there's probably guys who are like sprinters who actually have limited FTP drop off at altitude. We just don't know. Uh, do you yeah. have a good handle on where, how much you drop off? Um, yeah, it's, it's pretty much a normal drop off. I think okay. I, I struggle at altitude. Um, and there's some freaks of nature, like you said, the sprinters that do not see a change in altitude. I am not one of those, but the drop off is is um, is enough, or it is small enough that the benefit of the faster conditions will be good. And what's your view on should the hour record be at forced to be at sea level? And I think this also ties into the financial element as well. People under don't realise how much this costs to do an hour record, yeah. which is one part reason why this is not something done every two months. Uh, you don't see an official UCIR record attempt. Is the if they made it sea level, would that reduce the costs a lot? Uh, no, really? no, it wouldn't. Um, I think if we'd 
I think if we'd done the attempt in the UK, um, a closed doors attempt in the UK would probably be more expensive than really? Mexico attempts. Yeah. Um, certainly London, Manchester, generally they're much more user-friendly. So Manchester may be the same cost as Mexico. Um, yeah. London would have been more expensive. Um, yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't think that makes a difference. The, uh, should the R record be at sea level? Um, I don't know. Uh, not sure. Not sure. I'll, I'll tell you after that. Um, I, I mean, sea level would have always been my preference. Manchester would have always yeah. been my preference. Um, just less of an unknown. Um, but it, 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 like this is the way that the sort of the cookies crumbled, I guess, and and we're um, yeah, here we are. What do you think about uh, tying into the financial element again? This is very hard for someone to sell a fund, or I know their work you and Chanel have been doing, going and procuring sponsorship. It's like a, it's literally a full time job, uh, yeah. and sorting that out uh, yourselves. Why are why have teams not been as interested in the hour record? Not just for you, for anyone, for any of their time trialists. Like, why haven't Ineos paid Ghana to do this already? Maybe we'll do it in the future, but why? Well, yeah, why aren't teams as interested in making this event for themselves? Yeah, and that, yeah, it's it's um, it's real interesting because if you put together the amount of riders that could challenge the hour record, there's there's quite a lot. Um, Kum, Bissiger, Ghana, Van Aert, Evan Pohl. Victor could go again, I think. Uh, Rowan, Durbridge, Hepburn. Um, Roglic. Roglic. Pogaccia, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's, there's... You look at the top 10, top 15 of the world's TT champs for the last couple of years. They're all guys that can give the R record a nudge. And that's... Yeah, it was kind of um, certainly last time around. Everyone, everyone was waiting for Wiggins in 2015, but it was also like, well, Cancellara's been doing some training, and Tony Martin. I think Tony. Everyone used to ask Tony Martin if he wanted to do it, and he polite, politely said yes, but maybe deep down he didn't. But Cancellara always talked about it, but never did it. And I think that's the overriding thing: you have to actually do it, and that is tough because like organising it yourself as like we are on it from seven in the morning till like 10 o'clock at night with a 25 minute modern family episode yeah uh break over some over some dinner it's um it's flat out and i think honestly like we always would have done it but we might have thought twice had we known what we were in for in terms of organizing it and um yeah and and the cost it's 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 colossal to ride around the track for an hour. And I'm always on the fence because I'm like, this, this should be something that's accessible to all. But then it's it's also, you can see why like, it, it, the prestige it has is because of its, um, maybe its elusiveness, its, its inaccessibility. It's, um, yeah, I, I sort of, I get, I mean, two minds as whether to be angry at how much work and effort it all is to ride around a track for an hour. But then on the other hand, I'm like, actually, this is this is quite something to be part of this group, like tackling the hour record in an official capacity and, and 
you know, it's quite an exclusive club and an even more exclusive to to break it and join a sort of 55 kilometer plus club. Um, yeah, so it's not easy. And how do you think it affects future contracts? Do you th- like and how and also time trialing? Have, how have you seen the landscape of say world tour contracts now with teams and also the, the death of the team time trial as well? Where guys who are consistently say you can book them from like sixth to twelfth at worlds, and yeah. but they're not probably winning world tour TTs consistently. Is that is that has that market dwindled from your perspective in the last seven years? And you've got to be bringing other things. We've seen you're now lead out man, other jobs as well. Campanas obviously he's like I'm not even trying at TT anymore. Classics guy. Yeah. Is, is that yeah. a response to market? Uh, I think that's, there's always been an element of that. Um, the UCI points available for a time trialist are is pitiful. Yeah. Um, you, you need to get, like, say you run top five in Torino. I don't know the exact maths, but top five in Torino is like running top 40 in GP Plouet. Yeah, okay. you, you look at top five in the TT of Torino, it's like Kung, Van Aert, Ghana, <laughs> and like, and 40th in Plouet is, is, is a much easier ask for for anyone, relatively speaking. Um, so I think, yeah, that, that's 6th to 12th um, area, and there's a lot of us in that in that group. I'd like to think I'm still a part of that group, but there's a lot of us in that group. Um, and, yeah, we have to be... We have to be... Um, good at other stuff as well you know like Durbridge phenomenal classics rider domestic um yeah like we saw Rowan did in the Giro last year as well and he's he's in that like upper echelon of time trial and it's um you can't be there's only one there's only two specialists no there's only one specialist now and that's Ganna like Kung still rides a good classics uh, Evan yeah. Pohl is a GC rider Ganna I think is the only time trial specialist yeah um yeah and why do we not see i guess more guys like i don't know is do you speak to brandler's another guy on your been with you he's also in that similar range like have you had conversations with him or has he said you know yeah i've in the last two three years or come and ask if you so you know he's been like i need to focus on these these other areas and what is it is it is it what's the more natural transition i guess maybe you're you're more like a longer effort compared to like a, a 10 minute but is it lead outs is it sort of de clerk work is it getting in breaks on a climbing stage with one of your skinny guys i think you did that in uae before her feet or jabel jace you got in with yeah yeah, yeah yeah is what what's yeah. like the there's the second quick bow in your arrow you can have um i think mine's now experience road i can i can road captain uh so when the director can't make calls i can um kind of crack the whip with anyone if we need to work or make decisions and i honestly lead out the lead out is something brandley rick zabel and i have done very successfully for since the first katusha alperson days the problem with it is the the result at the end um 
And you look at Morkoff, Morkoff is without a doubt the best final lead out man at the moment. Um, but he is because the guy on his will always wins. And we've, we've dropped, like, you know, Marcel Kittel, for example, we've dropped him off perfectly at times and still you've got like four guys come around him. And I know Marcel had his struggles, but that then like in the aftermath of that is like Kittle didn't win. So no one talks about the lead out. So the lead out's not, yeah, like, you yeah. talk about Renshaw because Cavendish always won. You talk about Morkoff because the quick step rider off his wheel normally always wins. I mean, don't get me wrong, phenomenal bike riders, but it really helps when your sprinter wins. I'll and, give you another example. DSM for case bowl the last couple of few years i think i was yeah. talking about it with someone the other day there's the van art sprint stage he won in 2022 maybe dsm certain crowd and Benoit and co they like literally put bowl there at 175 to go dropped him off at 70 k's an hour and van art just destroyed bowl and bowl's really inconsistent and i think yeah people don't really think of dsm as the good lead out but sometimes like paranese they got it right bowl got it right this year and they literally obliterated Bennett and Morkov. Um, yeah. So yeah, so I'm, that's why I was mentioning it's Ola because I'm I'm high on that because his lead out at Quebec has been uh, not great, and yeah. I think he's just consistently a good sprinter. I think against not Ewan and not Bennett with with that lead out, I think Nizola can be good. Yeah, grittier, grittier sprints uh, for Nizola. Hey. Yeah, you know, the thing I like about him is how he gets aero as well. Um, they fully embraced going faster on a bicycle, which since the invention of power meters has been a, a lost art in the minds of a lot of bike riders, I think. Yeah, I look at I look at uh I took a look at Ackerman's power data because he was before when he got stumped for the Tour de France, he was like, But my power is really good. It's as good as it's ever been, but the results aren't there. And you know, either his positioning is terrible, where well, it was most of the time, or B, he's really just not very aerodynamic. So you're, he's dumping 1,500 watts for however long, but not going anywhere. It was Caleb. Yeah, Caleb's – I think Ewan's the best. Um, yeah. I think he's better than Bennett, but and he's the most aero sprinter there is. Yeah, sorry, I got off track. I, I love sprinting too much. Um, yeah. <laughs> so do I. I just don't like that last kilometre. Like, I'm done. At yeah, the, at the Flam Rouge. <laughs> Have you simulated what? What sort of training are you doing at the moment? Are you doing like what's the sort of bread and butter? Are you doing four by fifteens at race pace? Are you doing like cadence work for the to simulate that? Have you done any hour simulations? What What's the sort of stuff you're doing at the moment? Um, what is, I mean, because we're taking a very different approach this time round to last time round. Okay. I'm up at altitude and without a velodrome up here. Um, whereas last time around, I, I, I racked up, I think, 20 or 30 hours of track time, largely unnecessarily uh, ahead okay. of the hour record attempt. So it's, I mean, it, it's basically time trial work. Um, yesterday was sort of a six-hour ride with three blocks of various over-unders um, uh, for 30 minutes. The only difference is I'm, Doing whereas before my coaches had asked me to go, to go down to the flat road at a thousand meters or eight fifty, and um, do them on there to get high numbers. Here we're now doing them like on climbs, making sure we get um, up high so that I'm doing 
doing the efforts and uh, at sort of rough. I mean, you're constantly traveling uphill, so you're moving through yeah, the, yeah. through the altitude. But is that in doing the, the that you're doing? I did it up Arcalus. Okay. Um, so starting the efforts at 1500 meters, finishing yeah. them at 2100, um, was trying to recover doing like 2040s and 3030s, 4020s. I was doing that's the burnout training plan, mate. You're doing, doing 2040s uh, up to Arcalus. That's what he's doing pre Yeah, right? yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was doing, but I was doing it on the TT biking position, cool. so <laughs> Burnell can give that one a go if he wants. Um, <laughs> Um, but the hardest one actually was uh, it was 30 seconds at 4.50 and then two and a half minutes at 300 times 10 so 30 minutes of that that was the last block and that damn near killed me right. um, trying to recover because the thing about altitude once you go over the limit so over your anaerobic threshold it's pretty difficult to come back that's what they don't tell you about it like your ftp drops like there's just a natural yeah. percentage drop but the the big loss is going into the red and then trying to come back from it you you just yeah. don't so. and, and so i'm i'm trying to figure out based on what you're telling me there your your target power is that a secret or is that is no, um no it's uh so my uh, one of my coaches crunched all the numbers, you know, like CDA air density, yep. um, all of that jazz, and came to. He says I've crunched it ten different ways, and it comes back to three hundred and forty watts, um, which doesn't sound like a lot, but on a TT bike in position, up where the air is thin, sustained for an hour, like, that'll end up being a lot. Yeah. Um, so, but I, I, I think if it is that, it should be manageable. And you've modeled that, that, do you have you modeled how much that should be the record by? Is that a comfy margin if you hit three, four? Uh, that should, that should be record with a little bit of change. Okay. Um, so, cause you have to officially break it. If you don't break it by more than 10 meters, you don't break it. Oh, really? Oh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I ride further, if I ride five meters further than Victor, Victor, I think Victor still holds the record. Right. Um, okay. Going back to time trialing away from our record mode, and I think looking at your future, I'm not saying uh, I, I still I'd sign you after next year for various things, but do you think like where do you see the expertise level now across the world tour? There's some teams doing it great, and some teams improving, like Astana, I think massive improvement in tt this year with even velasco coming on there where do you see the is every team good now their tt is just dialed for their important guys or is it alarmingly bad still in some of the world tour teams even for guys who are competing for gc in world tour races it's still alarmingly bad um there's a there's a bit of a like the the, the French, old school French teams. You can't um, see Aero. Nah, it's yeah, and and I think, but there's a and I certainly what so backstory going from Team Sky, Ineos, Team Sky to Movistar was a real um, performance culture shock. Yeah, I think so. Team Sky understood. Um, 
stuff had to be optimized to win bike races. And Movistar understood that you had sponsors and you had to like honor sponsors above everything. Um, Team Sky, if something wasn't good enough, I mean, the luxury of Team Sky was the budget. I guess the, yeah. like big budget and they could afford to say to Shimano, your wheels are not good enough. Lightweight. We're going to use, <laughs> well, back then oh, it was yeah. heads. We had yeah, half right. the team were on heads and half the team at any race would be on Shimano's. So they're like, until you make something that is good enough, we're not going to use it. Yeah. Um, and whereas in Movistar, I was like, no, no, you use this. And what was amazing was I went from Team Sky to Ineos, both on Pinarello and somehow downgraded like time trial bike um they Ineos got the lead and I think because they helped Pinarello make it oh, it was, it was shared IP it. so yeah yeah a... so Movistar weren't allowed to use it and I was like this is absurd yeah um and I think Movistar were very upset because they've been with Pinarello for like 13 or 14 years yeah, and had a real them. Yeah, they had a real friendly relationship that they thought was um, like a relationship based on more than just a transaction. And then I think Team Sky come in and sort of blew that out of the water. So, um, so yeah, I, I think the lower budget teams have to honour um, sponsors far harder than higher budget teams do. And with that comes compromises. And you, I think with, um, uh, get back to Movistar, the, the Abbas... Helmet, oh, those helmets, holy shit. Yeah, I don't think they're too, super quick. And that's, yeah, and the speeds were going now. The the difference is, like, the faster the average speeds keep going up, the less important power is and the more important aero is. And that's, like, and so you can't, you can't give away a thing. I looked at um, Remco's power data. If he was 10 kilos heavier at Worlds, he would have gone, yeah. like, 0.4 kilometers slower like barely made a difference assuming cda everything yeah. say the same and power say the same yeah it made oh yeah if you would but if he'd adjusted his cda i had it like 0.167 something like ludicrous um yeah, but yeah. if you take that down just a bit that makes a yeah. much an exponential difference compared to any weight um yeah at all do you reckon wow would have won if he'd run a, a one by yes Oof. Yeah, it's, it's about two and a half. It's about two and a half watt saving. Is it? Um, yeah. Wow. And this is the the weight thing is the weight thing is really interesting because you see it in cycling now. You see it in the the old school. It's it's just this. It's like everyone's like, yeah, yeah. It's got to be more aero up until the point something's heavy, and then it's like, no, but it's heavy. Um. So aero gets disregarded. And then it's like, oh, well, ultimately, you just need to push harder. And, yeah, and the beauty is you can model all of this. And like you said, you can add 10 kilos to someone's weight and go no faster, but you can shave off a fraction of aero and see some significant um, time reduction and speed increase. But it's, I I think there's a, there's like an old school mentality that still exists, still exists in cycling where, they just kind of they don't want to believe it because they can't see it. Um, whereas weight and power are two tangible things. Like you are this heavy and you yeah. do this much power. So it I was, know uh, it, it's mind blowing to me because you, you have training camps, whole year set up, goals, etc. And there's you know all these GC contenders 
half, like 9% of the world tour races, they're all getting to the last K of the climb together. Unless it's yeah. like Pagatra and Prati de Tivo. But okay, assuming you can't beat Pog and Rog, still second, third off grabs at Dauphiné, Torino, et cetera. And the TT is the time where you can make the big difference and it, like an exponential difference. Because like to take 30 seconds on a 15K, 6% climb, you need to be on. Like you yeah. need to be absolutely flying. But in a 20-minute TT, you could take 30 seconds with just planning the off-season better. It just seems... Yeah. yeah, I'm not actually an expert. I'm not an engineer. I'm a lawyer, but I just I more I more see where some teams like Yumbo they're locking in with uh, both their equipment and also the the people they're dealing with Astana as well, like their hires. I, I've been more watching the hires to see who's moving in the right direction. Um, but is that something you're interested in? In oh, oh, massively, many, yeah, yeah, massively. But also, I think something i've 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 always been interested into it but you i've learned as a being in the game as long as i have you have to you have to make the right noises at the right times in the right ways yeah and so i can't just be that guy banging on the door like you need to make this faster you need to make this faster it doesn't it doesn't help um so i so last year with um israel startup nation we had pretty uh, the time trial is something I sort of parked. I focus more on the lead out because I think it's massive there. Because you're doing a one one or two minute effort trying to do 60k an hour on a road bike, so suddenly aero becomes so significant. Yeah. And um, so I, I had a wind tunnel session, and I on asked the road bike? on the road bike, and I asked some friends. I asked the guys at aero coach who were running the session. I said, look, I want to do a specific test. I want to do a breakaway, a sprint, and a climbing test in two different road race skinses. And I put numbers on. I put food in the pockets. It's a sort of simulated how we'd be in a race. Yep. And we did three tests. So we did 20 kilometers an hour to simulate a climb, uh, 40K an hour to simulate a breakaway, and 70K an hour to simulate a sprint. And so the two suits, one was a uh, one was the standard road race skin suit that we were issued by the team, which was yep. a jersey bonded, like a jersey sewn to a pair of shorts, basically. Um, and the second one was more of a custom fit. Um, it was a suit from No Pins, which I'd had made. It was a custom fit. It was their time trial suit with the arms cut off and pockets added to the back. Um, I put the same amount, of, I put numbers on both, put the same amount of stuff in my pockets, run the same tests. And on the, on the wind tunnel, so when you start a wind tunnel session, you, you get in your position and they draw a line around you, which is projected onto the floor. So when you get back on, you can put yourself in those lines and make sure that your position's the same. They said to him, with the results, can you, instead of saying this suit is 10 watts faster, I said, nobody really understands that. No one knows what no. 10 watts faster is. I said, can you put them into scenarios to give something tangible? So, um, so give us a 5k climb at 5% at 20k an hour average for 20 minutes um, and that result came back the TT suit was 7 seconds faster like, so uphill where aero does not exist TT suit was 7 seconds faster and it's like okay well it's not much but it's not nothing either um, I said the breakaway one was I, I can't actually remember the result because the overriding one was the sprint results now I then take this to my sprinters in the team who I'm leading out and getting wildly frustrated at because they won't put an aero helmet on. They'll put a holy helmet on because they're like, it's oh, all only wears the aero very helmet. Good. 
Exactly. Well, Jim and I hated wearing the aero helmet because it didn't look great until I was like, I will not lead you out unless you put the fast helmet on. I'm not interested in helping unless you're interested in winning. Um, to which point he did. There was over 300 meters, 300, 200 meters. There was a 1.7 meter difference between the suits. Now you tell that to a sprinter and their eyes light up. They're like, you mean at the end of my 200 meter sprint? Yeah, I will be. They're like, they've all lost races by far less. Then they put the skin suit on. Yeah. And that was, so that's kind of something I've worked on in the last um, year is, is trying to provide this information and this knowledge in a way that motivates guys that don't really, that only really understand that aerodynamics exists, but that's kind of the long and short of it, I guess. Well, that, that's what one of my big off-season projects is sprint analysis from this year. And it's looking at what was the median drop-off point or where did the, the sprinter hit the wind first when they won? Where's the average time the sprinter hit the wind first when they win? And, and looking at it, like just trying to build out lots of data. So I have to look at literally, I have to go through every single world tour sprint. Uh, then I also need to look at solo breakaways and what they were using. So Brent Van Moor, I'm not sure he was wearing aero socks in that Tour de France break. Yeah. He was definitely on 40, looked like 40 centimeter handlebars to me. And we're talking 250 meters. He was solo for over 10 Ks. And this is a Tour de France stage win on the line. And so I think like if you're getting in a break in a, in a grand tour, you need to be suited and booted correctly. Um, yeah. Is, is my view. Now you don't need to go like Bigham's using 27 centimeter ones, but even 35s. Cause like they, they never want, they're never in a sprint anymore. You go solo, like, especially in those sort of breaks, but yeah, is it also a team's not willing to fund it? Like we, you can say it till you're blue in the face, but are the teams not willing to invest in that sort of stuff? Uh, it it comes that then comes back on sponsors. Like you know, Quick Step and Bora would have to go to the might of Specialized and go, True. "Can you make us like thirty centimeter bars?" And Specialized are going to go, "Are we going to sell thirty centimeter bars?" And True. There's that, and I think Canyon would be the same. Um, it went a black ink factor, black ink would be more receptive. Um, yeah. they're, they're a sponsor of Israel, right? Yes, yeah, yeah no, they're sort of they're smaller and much more um, uh, receptive to feedback and, and willing to um, acknowledge that we, I think, we kind of know what we were doing, or we, we think we know what we want. and that's a good starting point. Um, so I think a lot of that will be will be sponsor led. Also, the riders like you've got a rider like Victor, like the caliber of Victor. Um, if he says like I want this, like a sponsor will go okay, like because you're Victor Campanaz. Same with like Nitzola or Greipel or um, these big names. But if you've got Blue Neo Pro who's scraped to get his contract coming and go, I want thirty centimeter bars. Team's going to be like. Nah, jog on, mate. Like, yeah. we're, not, we're not investing that into you. So it depends on the rider. And then a trickle-down effect of that. Like you look at Victor joined Quebec, no one's aero, and then slowly everyone, everyone's aero. Like you've you've got an Italian wearing overshoes in yeah. road races. Um Max Welshite is a is a time trialist now. Yeah. Um and a very aero one at that. So 
I think there's a trickle down effect from the riders that are in in the teams. Yeah, and I like I speak to guys around the peloton, and I think there's a sometimes people forget like the riders know what's faster. They know like. like how frustrating can is it when you know you're riding slower equipment? Like I, like some of the Marvel Star guys with that helmet. Like how frustrating is it when that happens? Very. Yeah. Yeah. Very. I mean, we we I won't name names um, or brands, but we once we had we were coming to blows with a sponsor, an equipment sponsor, and we were saying the product is worse than last year's. And they ended up conceding and saying, look, we don't mind if you win one less race a year because of this, we just need you to use this. And for me, I was just like, what are we in this game to do? Like, are we are we trying to win bike races? Because sometimes it feels like we're trying to lose them. Specialised at Roubaix, they ran clinches and all their top guys flattered like three times. And Bora, a specialised sponsor, and I think they ran... Uh, tubulars or tubulars, probably tubulars, the old, the normal stuff. And yeah, to Koenig, I don't know whether they had a choice, but yeah, I think the cycling podcast had a thing about it. And yeah, like if that, I guess if the order comes down, you got to cop it. But if you're Lampard, Asgren and Co, and you got five figure bonuses plus on the line, that's also very, very frustrating, especially in a, in a bonus heavy team like that. But yeah. so, I mean, and then also with contract renewals, you're like, oh, you haven't won anything. It's like, who, kind of, whose fault was that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Like, it, it costs the guys money if if your if your team's doing that. But yeah, yeah. back to your la- last few things on on the hour record. When's your off season going to be? When's the deload? <laughs> Do you have to go straight um, from Mexico to team camp somewhere? Yes, I go literally. Uh, so we have. The hour record's on the third. We have a, if something goes wrong, like let's say I puncture or something happens on the third at 45 minutes, we have a backup option to go on the fourth, okay. uh, which we really don't want to use. I then fly directly to Israel on the fifth for a seven-day team camp. Um, like a nice camp, like a meet and greet. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone gets drunk together at some point and, uh, you know, be, yeah say hello to everyone and whatnot um and then yeah then we come back then we, we've got a little stint in the uk where i've uh, got a wedding and uh, there's a action medical research charity dinner i'm, I'm speaking at. um yeah then maybe after that we'll try and get to a beach somewhere um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't even know which which beach in Europe is habitable in December because I'm not Canary staying, Islands. Canary Islands. Because I'm not staying yeah. there in December. Um, I just can't do it. No. Um, <laughs> Lanzarote, Tenerife, Fuerteventura, okay. Gran Canaria. Those are those are your options. All right. And sorry, last question. So on the social media aspect of this, obviously this is going to be live streamed on the third of November on Alex's YouTube channel, which I'm sure everyone listening is familiar with at around i think 10 central european time or tune in at nine british standard time as well just get, be ready at that time where do you with, with the the social media you're doing is there pushback from within the peloton with it because i remember someone said carlos Verona because he was doing vlogs ages ago and sometimes yeah. people would be like oh why are you doing that etc 
has the time shifted now where you, people in the peloton are almost a bit jealous that you now have this separate thing running parallel that's complementary that gives you more visibility provides more sponsor visibility or is it still some people don't really know why you do it um i'd actually say it's not until the hour record that sponsors have cottoned on to the youtube channel and probably through me starting up a youtube channel has helped as well yeah um i talk is quite funny i do worry a little bit about what um i used to worry what other writers think uh, thought of it and then as i've got older I, I i care less about it but i remember being on a uh after the tour going here you have to go to this uh uci gala dinner and it's the last race of the season for everyone so everyone gets pretty uh everyone gets, year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well everyone gets pretty on it pretty yeah. quickly afterwards and we were on a bus driving back from um, the dinner back to the hotel to then go out and a very a neo uh, a very young neo pro pasco ancon was on the bus's microphone um and just uh, his teammates were like saying to me like this kid's a neo pro and he's laying into every pro that's on the bus um like he's, he's not going to be an AO pro for long <laughs> anyway he gets on to me and he's like oh Alex the YouTuber like stuff like this and then like, everyone has a good laugh and I look around and Stefan Kung sat there and he's like I watch your videos and I look Dylan Grunewagen was there he's like I watch your videos I was like oh that's, that's kind of nice like there's <laughs> something in it but um, no I, I think it's mostly well received I mean I've got some phenomenal teammates that all um quite enjoy being in the videos, I think, or they don't mind, or they tolerate me. I'm the not Gripal sure. One, like, the Gripal one was good recently. Gripal is a phenomenal bang for buck yeah. on, in front of the camera. Um, Rick Zabel as well, just dry humour. Matthias Brandley can't, whenever you get him on camera, he, he can't look at you. He has to look direct at the camera, oh, really? which ends up just being real weird. <laughs> just, but I haven't told him. Um, but I've got a really good bunch of teammates that enjoy it. And but I, I also pick and choose the times. So like if, if it's a serious day, I, I don't pick up the camera. If yeah, it's yeah. if it's a TT day or a team time trial day, I don't pick up the camera because I I'd never want it to detract from from my work. So there's yeah, there's days to there's days to do it and there's days to not do it. And um I pick and choose them wisely. And and certainly, you know, like if if one of the GC guys, if Woods or Dan Martin is there and it's a big day for them, I, I don't put a camera in front of them either. Um, I try and be as respectful as I can, but they, everyone supports it. It's like, yeah, it's nice. I think it's, um, you kind of, I, I look back on YouTube and yeah, we all take so many photos and videos on our phones and, but afterwards they're just a collection of photos and videos. And what, what we do is is we collect these like Chanel and I collect these experiences, send them to an editor who sends it back in a wonderful seven minute format where that's then like ingrained on the internet forever. And I think it's it's kind of nice to have all, like those memories are obviously in a very public forum, but they like, we have them forever. Whereas yeah, we look back at some of our real early YouTube videos which had no talking to camera or anything we're just like 
we went on holiday in New Zealand and I filmed a bunch of it and it was just like, oh yeah, I remember when we did that, I remember when we did that. And it was just, yeah, it's quite nice to have all of that in one place. Yeah, I like it. I like, well, for me, I don't, I only use social media for business purposes. I don't understand people taking photos for Instagram unless it's going to make you, make you cash. So um maybe i'm just an uber capitalist and i need to relax a bit but yeah like i only see it for business purposes and i even like looking back at okay go look at the video from two years ago I'm like wow that was so shit like you didn't even understand yeah. cycling yeah. and hopefully i understand a little bit about cycling now um and it's just you know incremental improvement and then the pod next year like we started with no no cameras no video and then i was like well if you want it to do well on youtube you need to have people's faces in it. Like no one's going to watch a blank screen. Um, yeah. And so that's just the philosophy I've had with it. And I really enjoy it. And the comments are usually like that. That's where I learned so much from the comments is people roasting me for what I've said. They're like, no, nah, you don't realize this, this 18 year old actually did well at Saskatoon in 2017. So he, you should have known he would have won this stage. I'm like, okay. It's like, sorry. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. anything about cycling. Anyway. I've been. I, that's what I, you're lucky. I get all I get complaints about the sound. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I we have so many microphones, and none of them, none of them, are of a satisfactory level for YouTube. Yeah, apparently. Yeah, audio. That's what people don't realize. Audio is the one thing that turns people, makes people mad more than any image quality stuff. Uh, apparently. Yeah. Anyway, Alex is giving up too much of his time in his evening when he's probably trying to watch Modern Family season. I don't know what reminder. Third, seven, seven, seven. Season seven. Okay. Third of November, 10 a.m. No, 10 p.m. 10 p.m. Central European time, 9 p.m. British Standard Time. Alex will have on his Instagram and YouTube, I presume, lead up content reminding you of all this. So check that out as well. And also it'll be scheduled, but on Alex's YouTube channel for the hour record attempt in Mexico, supported by, I think, is it Pfizer, Hammerhead? Factor, Israel Startup Nation, Endurance Zone, or Yellow Jersey, Viking Endurance, and the Independent Peddlers. And, you know, without them, it wouldn't be possible at all. So, because right. it's, it's a big money thing. Can't wait to watch it. Thanks for your time, Alex. And uh, we'll chat uh, soon, maybe you. even afterwards. Ciao. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.